Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Well, last week was uh, last week was Father's Day, and uh, one of the perennial problems in the church is finding resources to use in Father's Day that are inclusive. Because we now live in a world where we understand that not everyone appreciates a shiny, happy, nuclear family, happy Father's Day message. We know that for many people, uh, lives have brought pain in families or families look really different to this gorgeous situation here. Uh, Unfortunately, every time you look for a church video on Father's Day, it's all this stuff. And one could be forgiven for thinking that churches are about beautiful families. Well, the amazing thing about Paul's letter to the Corinthians is that he addresses all kinds of people, all kinds of relationship status, all kinds of families. And in this passage we see not only uh, the powerful or those in uh, the usual hierarchies addressed, but we see everybody addressed. Wives and husbands, people who are engaged, people who are single and looking, single and not looking, uh, people who are divorced, people who are widows or widowers, people who are married to Christians, people who are married to non-Christians, widows who are seeking remarriage. And the message that we can take away from this extremely long and complex passage uh, as we begin is this. Come as you are. The church is not a place for shiny, happy families. It is a diverse community of people in every kind of state of life. And if you do see a church that has a a children's pastor come up the front every Sunday, that church needs to be making sure that the priority in that ministry is that it's passing on the faith to the next generation, not that it is feeling great about itself, that it's got families at the heart of all they do. Because the message here and the message throughout 1 Corinthians is come as you are. Paul says this is what some of you were, speaking about all kinds of backgrounds. We know that the church in Corinth was made up of people who had come from Jewish and Gentile background, slave and free, wealthy and poor, sinful and middle class. And so in this passage, he actually expands not just about relationship status, but all of those backgrounds. Come as you are, free or slave, circumcised or uncircumcised, because the message is not just come as you are, but live for Christ as you are. So he says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. He goes on to speak about circumcision and uncircumcision. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in 
when God called them. Now, this is not to say that it's not right to want to change jobs or to find a partner. What he's saying is, relax. Unlike the goats that I love to feed that think that what I've got in my hand is somehow different than what is literally at their feet on the other side of of their side of the fence, the grass is not greener. They also want to eat clothes and, and everything else, bags, hair. The grass is not greener when it comes to serving Christ if you're single and wish to be married. The grass is not greener in terms of serving Christ if you're a slave. That's radical. The grass is not greener if you are a Jewish person or a Gentile. Each person is equally valuable. No state of life can change your worth in Christ. No state of life can change your potential for happiness as his follower. Sit with that for a while. No state of life can change your capacity to serve him with faithfulness and fruitfulness. He starts then to expand even more about not just relationships, not just background or socioeconomic status, but how you engage in everyday life all the time. So he adds to the list those who mourn and those who are happy, those who are buying and he might say those who are selling, those who use the things of the world. And he says, you're to do all of these things as though you were not engrossed in them. And the meaning of that is that you are not to be wrapped up in any status, in any relationship, in any religious background, or in any feeling or time of life. None of these things are to blind you or engross you so that you cannot understand that they are all temporary. So he says in verse 26, because of the present crisis, some people think this is about something that was going on in Corinth in particular, but my reading could be wrong, is that it connects with verses 29 and 31, which is, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short for this world in its present form is passing away. Not that there is some sort of emergency happening in Corinth to be a crisis, but actually that life as a Christian in this world is short, but eternity is long. Time for being on mission time for experiencing the love of Jesus and sharing that with others, time for living holy lives that stand out and draw people to Christ is short. And the world in its present form with all of its relationship statuses, stati, with all of its enjoyments and sadnesses, uh, with its career, its freedoms, its enslavements, all of it is passing away. So even though this passage is 
terribly practical. What underlies it and actually uh, sits over the top of it is eternity. It is how you live, and uh, we want to make sure we preach this passage because we could preach this every week, how you live in light of eternity. A new day is coming. The rays of the sun are already creeping over the horizon. Jesus is risen. You have received the Spirit. A new day has dawned and is dawning until it will be the new heavens and the new earth. And so come as you are, live as you are, but know that however you are placed in life right now, it is temporary in light of eternity. And so whether you are single, married, divorced, widowed, looking, satisfied, whatever it is, we should all have the same goal. And he says it in verse 35, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the key to unlock this passage, that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. In our congregation, we have single people. We have people who've never been married or who are single now because they are divorced or widowed. We have people who are married and are finding that easy. We've got people who are married and who are not finding that easy. They're probably the same people at various points. We have people who are wondering what it's going to look like to live with same-sex attraction. We've got people who are wondering what it's going to look like uh, when they want to have a girlfriend or boyfriend and the world says, live with them, sleep with them, no problem. Paul is saying to each one of us, live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, I'm sure you've never, ever touched your mobile phone while you're driving. Never, ever. Josh definitely hasn't. I love it. Uh, teach me your ways. <laughs> because I might have once or twice. Psychologists tell us that texting is the worst. Speaking on the phone is a very, very close second even if you're on hands-free, it's not actually this. I mean, yes, sometimes looking at it, but even having a conversation with someone in the car next to you is as bad as being on the phone. The problem is not that you don't see what is in front of you. I mean, maybe, you know, I was just changing the tape. Does anyone remember that? Oh, man, that, that was a TAC ad that was before your time. Um, but the problem is not that you don't see what's ahead of you. The problem, psychologists say, is that when you're distracted, when you're having a conversation with someone, when you're looking at your phone, um, that you don't recognise what's going on. So visually, you're actually taking it all in. That's not the issue. 
The issue is a recognition. And so you, you can't act because your mind is not able to say this is what needs to happen because you're not recognising what's in front of you. This is exactly what Paul is calling us to both avoid and to commit to. That as we have this journey of the Christian life, whether we are single, whether we are married, whether we're seeking, whether we're not, whether we're widowed, whatever it is, we're called to live in such a way that we are not distracted, we are able to see what God is doing and be part of it. That is the call for all of us, to not simply just go along, of course we see what's happening in the world, but to recognise what God is doing, what God is saying to me when I read the scriptures. What is he putting on my heart? What is he saying, this is in front of you, what's in my hand? And so undivided devotion, whatever state, come as you are, live as you are, but be undivided, undistracted, have an undivided heart. When I think about the book of Corinthians, I think about this amazing lady here, Jackie Pullinger. Uh, she is someone in my life who has uh, taught me a lot about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, she came out to Melbourne a few times. She's a British lady, but she has been working in Hong Kong as a missionary for more than 50 years. She came out to Melbourne a couple of times and taught Phil and I um, at, in a large group, not just us. Um, I mean, I am a big deal, but <laughs> not that big a deal. Um, <laughs> Uh, about spiritual gifts, how you use them in the church, how you encourage others to use them, what it means to do that in God's grace. Uh, but Jackie Pullinger also to me uh, uh, talks about, speaks to me about a life of undivided devotion. As a young person, she committed to be a missionary and as she grew in God's grace, she decided, as she was 22 in 1966, to head out on a slow boat to China and that she would just listen and that God had promised that wherever she looked and she knew, recognised that this is where God was at work for her, she would go. Like she literally said that the, the prophetic word that she had was in reading the scriptures uh, where, she, where she looked and where God's eyes went. Her devotion was undivided and undistracted and she got to Hong Kong and she looked and she went, oh, this is the place. So she got out and she did some work there as a teacher and a musician, but she eventually became involved in ministry in the walled city. It's now been pulled down, but it was a place where police basically had no influence at all. It was triad-controlled gangs and absolutely rife with drug addiction and prostitution. Uh, children as young as nine being sold into uh, sexual slavery and uh, there were uh, many, many 
who were addicted to drugs uh, and whose lives were slowly disintegrating. Uh, Jackie ministered among them and particularly uh, through the receiving of the gift of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues um, was able to see great success in people coming off drugs. Um, But she struggled with the church's attitude to her as a single person on the mission field. And she was constantly receiving messages that what she was doing or how she was feeling must be less than because she was single. And didn't she long to have a husband? And God was going to make it up to her one day. She said, when people used to say that, I used to get really fed up. And they'd say, since you're not married, you can have God as your husband. For years, every time I'd come to the States, people would come up to me and ask, Jackie, why isn't a girl like you married? And I thought, how rude. How rude to God. She was a pretty strong character. uh, Is. You think he doesn't know what he's about? Do you think he would withhold any good thing from me? This life of undivided devotion that Jackie Pullinger had was actually enabled by her singleness and she relished it because of that. And in fact, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage. Singleness can actually be the best state for undivided devotion to Christ. Jesus himself actually spoke about eunuchs for the kingdom of God, those who were remaining single so that they could serve. Singleness, Paul says, can be the best state for undivided devotion to Christ because in it you are free to focus on the Lord's affairs. We've seen so many single people make an incredible impact for the church and for missions worldwide. This is my best friend Angela. She's a single person. It's obviously taken in the midst of COVID. Uh, And she reminds me that not only does singleness enable you to do some of these bigger things, Singleness can free you for a life of ministry here and now that is very different to life as a married person. Uh, Angela is a priest as well in the Anglican Church and the work that she is able to do with a diversity of people that I can't do is incredible. She's an inspiration. She can work with... uh, people in much more difficult states of life than I can because she's not thinking, I've got to get home and uh, I've got to pick up Phoebe or I've got to do this or Phil hasn't seen me for a week. But for Angela and for many of those in our community who are single, the pressure to say, well, you're right, You can serve. You're the ones. We actually run off the back of you, really. Must be balanced with the sense of isolation that can come if we're not all in this together. 
If you and I, whatever our relationship status, don't all have a desire for undivided devotion, for mission, worship, prayer, then those who may have the freedom to do more of it will feel deeply isolated. And at the end of the day, they go home, sometimes to an empty house that seems like a relief, but sometimes, especially if you're feeling unwell, it can be really tough. Ben and I were thinking about as how we would share this message and um, uh, he was wondering whether we should invite a single person up to speak. And part of that is because we feel like, well, we're speaking from a place of privilege as a married person and we shouldn't really be speaking into the lives of single people unless we've had that experience. But the Apostle Paul doesn't believe that marriage is speaking from a place of privilege. He says, actually, those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. As I went further in my uh, reading of this passage, I became more and more uncomfortable. Last week, I was visibly upset if you were here, and that pain was because I was... uh, so aware that what I was saying would make some people feel unwelcome. And that is the last thing that I want to do. But I am personally churned up by this passage because of the responsibilities it places on the married person to hold so much in balance and to face the fact that actually relationships are really hard and that there won't be always this experience of feeling like you've just met the person of your dreams and that serving God whilst also raising a family or being a husband and wife is hard. Well, Jackie Pullinger eventually got married. Uh, One of the men that uh, came off drugs through their ministry, John, and worked with them for a number of years, um, she fell in love with him. And uh, they were married when she was 48. And uh, she was asked... Uh, in an interview, she said, how did you meet your husband? And she talked about how they prayed him off drugs and uh, he was baptised, etc. And the years went by. I think she was really careful to say <laughs> didn't just jump into it. Um, and they, the interviewer said, it must have been nice for you to have a companion in your work, which one would imagine could feel quite lonely at times. And she said, uh, no, not at all. I quite like being alone. And for most of the time when we're we're praying people off drugs, it was in my own home, so I wasn't alone. Now, the actual important part of that I seem to have lost off the screen. Um, But what she said was, I didn't marry him because I needed companionship. I married him because I was in love with him and... The Bible said it's better to marry than to burn with passion. 
So she's referring to 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says, yes, marriage is good. And in fact, if you are finding that you cannot maintain singleness and bodily holiness, then marriage is great. This is the same Paul that wrote Ephesians 5, talking about the beautiful mystery of marriage and the way it symbolizes Christ in the church. And so I want to ask the question for you, if you're single, can you seek relationship if, if uh, singleness is so great <laughs> for the kingdom of God? And the scripture here says, yes, you are free to do so. This is the balance that the church has been unable to hold throughout the centuries. It's gone, singleness and celibacy is great, family is the best, celibacy is great, family is the best. No, both states are blessed by God. Both states are free for the Christian to choose as appropriate. But I want to say to the single people here today, if I can, uh, from this message, I think it would be great to ask the question, do you know your worth in Christ? Your potential for happiness and your capacity for fruitful service is not changed by your singleness. And the reason I say that is because now the way a lot of um, the way we meet people has a lot of rejection built into it. So if you're using online dating or different ways um, that uh, you know I didn't have to engage with, there is a heap of rejection for kind of just who you are, whatever way you swipe or whatever after a little conversation you have, the person says, no thanks. Uh, there's a lot of rejection built in. And so that can be very, very, very difficult for your own sense of worth in Christ, your belief in your potential for happiness and that your capacity for fruitful service. Uh, and... Um, I might just move on because um, I think uh, time is away. The incredible thing is that Paul says that whatever status you have, it is a gift. So he writes, I wish that all of you were as I am, that is a single person, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that we sometimes say that there is a gift of singleness as though someone doesn't desire to have uh, a companion in life. Someone doesn't desire uh, sexual expression, you know, that that's okay. They're gifted in singleness. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is saying when he speaks about gifts, what has God given you, what's in your hand, that you can build up the body of Christ? If you are a single person, there will be things that you can do that other people can't to build up the body of Christ. If you are a married person, there are things that you can do that are in your hand that, that, that other people can't do to build up the body of Christ. Each has a gift from God. Now, quickly, what does undivided devotion mean in marriage? Well, the problem was that there was sex everywhere in Corinth, and 
the people were wondering whether that meant that a holy marriage should be celibate. So they wrote to Paul, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationship with a woman. So that is maybe Chloe's household saying, Paul, you've seen the mess that's going on here in Corinth. We think the best thing would be complete abstinence for everyone, including married people. This little picture is the first time the phrase, the baby out with the bathwater, was used uh, in the 1500s. And this is exactly what was going on. They were throwing out the baby with the bathwater, the goodness of sexual union in marriage. They were saying, sex is pretty messed up. We should really just get rid of it altogether. St. Jerome in the 4th century was still of this view. Do you imagine that we approve of any sexual intercourse except for the procreation of children? He who is too ardent a lover of his own wife is an adulterer. There's a deep ambivalence, if not rejection, of sex, even in marriage, because we just did not know what to do with it. But Paul says, actually, sexual relations should be continued and have a healthy, happy place mutually in a marriage. So he says sex is an intrinsic part of married life and it ought to be mutually and joyfully shared throughout the marriage as appropriate to life circumstances. Abstinence, he says, despite what they think, actually may be a hindrance to holiness. We wonder whether there were Corinthian men who were being encouraged to have abstinent marriages and then yet were going to temple prostitutes. What is fascinating about this is that both husband and wife have the power to consent and to give and to receive. Both men and women are said to be sexual beings and that husband and wife have a responsibility to each other and a mutual uh, right and consent over their own bodies and an expectation of the other. If a Christian married couple wants to abstain from sex as an expression of prayer and fasting, then this ought to be a mutual decision for a limited time only. Well, what about undivided devotion in a marriage where one spouse is not a believer? It'd be easy to think because Christianity is such a huge break from the world that the marriage now is just incompatible. Well, Paul says, yes, we do live by a different ethic inside the church. We don't judge those outside the church. However, you are to maintain the marriage vows that you made if you've become a Christian and your spouse is not. And there's a gift. The gift, he says, is that your children are growing up in a home where they have exposure to the Holy Spirit in a way that they didn't have before where they can be prayed for, set apart for God. Nothing about your mixed status as a couple changes that. There is a gift in this. And who knows 
whether this is the way in which your spouse will be saved, he says. However, there are grounds and possibilities for separation or divorce. The scriptures give us three reasons that divorce is um, acceptable. Adultery, abandonment, or abuse. And the abandonment is where we, we, we get from this passage. The spouse who's not a believer says, I can't be married to you, a Christian, and they leave. Separation without remarriage is possible and permissible. Divorce is the only thing that allows for remarriage. Now, it doesn't take much to realise that the church is uh, full of all of us who don't live up to any of this. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that we should shy away from saying this is what the scriptures desire, what God desires for us in order to flourish. It's not a bad thing to see our own shortcomings, to see where we have fallen short and to throw ourselves on the mercy of God. Well, as we finish, this is Jackie Pullinger uh, three years ago as she received a visit from Justin Welby uh, in the blue there, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Jackie's marriage lasted seven years and her husband passed away. When she came out to Melbourne, when Phil and I sat under her ministry, she was a widow. And she could see in that both pain and a gift. She had no children except for the hundreds and hundreds of children who had been released from addiction or from a life of prostitution. She was committed to continuing her work. She's in her 70s there, I guess. And she's not an Anglican, but what I love is that her undivided devotion in every relationship state, in every season of life, her undivided devotion comes to the head of my church and he says, I want to learn about discipleship from you. Every single one of us is called to a life of undivided devotion. There are things that will help us, and that's sometimes in this passage and elsewhere in Scripture. But Paul says, come as you are, live for Christ as you are, and be undivided as you follow him. Let's pray. Almighty God, for each one of my sisters and brothers here this morning, I pray your grace, your blessing, your strength, and your mercy 
for those who are single, never married. We pray for your grace and blessing, strength and mercy. For those who would dearly love to be married but are not, we pray for your grace and blessing, strength and mercy. For those who are married and are finding life joyful, we pray for your grace and blessing, strength and mercy. For those who are married and who are finding life challenging, we pray for your grace and blessing, strength and mercy. For those who are divorced for one of these reasons, abandonment, adultery, abuse, we pray for your grace and blessing, strength and mercy. For those who are divorced and not for one of those reasons, we pray for your grace and blessing, strength and mercy. For those who are seeking remarriage, we pray for your grace and blessing, strength and mercy. For those who are widowed, we pray for your grace and blessing, strength and mercy. For every situation in life, every season, every question. For those who are same-sex attracted, we pray for your grace and blessing, strength and mercy. For those who are living with their partner who they're not married to, we pray for grace and blessing, strength, and mercy. Lord Jesus, we accept your invitation to come as we are. We desire to live for you as we are. And we ask for your grace, blessing, strength, and mercy to give you our undivided devotion. Amen.